podcast, Biblical Questions. We're excited. You've taken time out of your day to download our podcast and to listen to us. We certainly hope and pray that Christ would be glorified and use our listeners would be edified. I'd encourage you, please, to open a Bible and follow along. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 for the thrust of this podcast. And if you have a Bible, I always encourage you to, to open it and follow along. And while you're getting your Bible and, and opening it to that, I would also encourage you to please go to our webpage at biblicalquestion.com, all one word, all lowercase. There you can find out more information about us. You can find links to our social media accounts as well. We do post things from time to time there that would be an interest, we, we like to believe anyway, uh, to those who are sincerely looking and wanting to serve Christ more effectively, about persecution around the world uh, and events and things are going on within uh, the Christian world as, as well. In the Bible we are told that God, our God, kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. We're also told that he condemned Lucifer to ultimate defeat and the fires of hell. That he also flooded the world and destroyed all but eight people. He came down onto the Tower of Babel and scattered people to the four winds, confusing their languages. And the title of today's podcast is God of Judgment. God of Judgment. In these events I just read to you here, this would be actually the first 11 chapters of Genesis. God has always been involved in the affairs of men, his creation, and I certainly believe that he's still involved with the affairs of men today. There is obviously a point where you can push God too far. Somebody says, well, God is a God of love, He's a God of patience, uh, God of mercy, God of compassion. Uh, You can use all the adjectives you want, and it's probably going to be true. He's also a God of judgment, and He's a God of wrath, and He expects all of us to, to listen to Him, to obey Him, to know His Word, from Genesis chapter 1 to Amen in the last word of Revelation. The God of the Bible kind of reminds me of that big uh, gentle kid that we had in high school. Everybody seemed to like him. Uh, He was friendly, he's outgoing and caring, and really you could trust him. But he was obviously a strong, powerful giant of a boy who could somewhat be imposing. I heard someone uh, once observed, you really don't want to get him mad. He can pick you up and throw you across the room like he does the football players on the field. Likewise, we have a God who is loving, merciful, gentle, and kind, just like I just said. And King David describes God this way. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east and far as the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14, basically what we just read. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. And this is something that is missing in our society today, the true fear of the Lord. The respect that God truly deserves in his words, his promises, and who he is. In so many uh, denominational groups, not going to name any because I think they're all probably guilty of some uh, form or another, do not teach, preach, or do anything with fear of the Lord. He is not your barroom buddy. He is God. There is a point to which you do not want to push God. You do not want to get him mad. In Genesis chapter 6, somebody obviously uh, would get the Creator good and angry. He is mad. So, what did they do to make God so angry? What was that all about? To bring down the wrath of God so severely that he will destroy every living creature upon the face of the earth except for those in the ark which Noah would build. In Genesis chapter 6, in the first three verses, I believe scripture hints as part of the problem. They, they have cheapened marriage. What seems to have been the primary qualifications that the quote of sons of men applied in, in finding their life mate? Well, more likely, the answer's right in the text. Beauty. Now, what's wrong with marrying someone you like to look at? Well, nothing. But I, I mean, does God expect us to marry people that we think are ugly? I, I don't think so. Is it, this is a question, somehow righteous for a man to, to pursue a woman and say, Hey, honey, I, I want to marry you because you're about as ugly as they come. Or maybe something along the lines, You look like you've been beaten with an ugly stick three four more times, and so I really want to marry you. No, not only is that not righteous, a man who would say that would probably be bound to be a bachelor for the rest of his life. Besides, in the, in the Song of Solomon, we read the, the words of a righteous man telling his bride that he loves her eyes, he loves her hair, he loves her skin, and her so on, her, her smile. He just really likes looking at her. And there's nothing wrong with being married to someone you really like to look at. It's probably somewhat of importance. But we need to look at the inside, too. 
just the outward side of beauty. I have met some very beautiful women over the years, but they I really wouldn't want nothing to do with them once I discovered how ugly they were on the inside. So, why is God so upset here in Genesis chapter 6? Well, the problem here seems to be that the sons of God marrying daughters of men. There are several theories out there on who these two groups were, but I'm going to focus on one today in the podcast. The one I, I think is, is the best and the simplest is this. The sons of God were the children of godly parents who became attached to women who were not godly. They were not following in the ways of the Lord. Women who were given over to idol worship and loose living and orgies or, or whatever. Why would godly men be attracted to such a woman? Simply because they were good looking? You know, as you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the, the verses 2 through 4, When the Lord your God delivers them, your enemy, over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, no mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take the daughter for your son to marry, for they will in turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. I recently was speaking with a man who had the thoughts that the Bible is against interracial marriage. And I explained that the only time the Bible really ever spoke about mixed marriages was when Moses married a, a black man. Moses' sister, Miriam, obviously uh, objected. Uh, she seemingly had some bigotry or some self-righteousness. And God responded less than favorably. Basically, God said to Miriam, uh, you're like white, I'll give you white. And God struck her with leprosy. God does not appear to be bothered by interracial uh, marriages. God is far less concerned about the color of someone's skin that you marry than he is the color of their hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18 says this. And I think this is really what we need to focus on. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness share together? Or what does the light in common have in common with darkness? Verse 15. Or what harmony does Christ have with Baal? Or what does the believer share with the unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, tis God said. I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
verse 17. Therefore come out of their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So again, God is a lot less concerned with the color of someone's skin that you will marry or want to marry than he is with the color of their hearts. Is their heart dark, black, or is it red with the color of Christ's blood? The second reason I really believe that God destroyed the world in Genesis chapter 6 is they had cheapened their heroes. Back to Genesis 6 verse 4, talks about the men of renown and the heroes of old. And then in verse 5, it goes on to say that the wickedness of man had caused God to unleash his wrath, which believes, leads me to believe that the heroes of the day were men of action and men of accomplishment. These were not necessarily holy people, but they were men who were powerful and successful. They were doers, but not believers. We have the same issue going on in our world today. People look at their heroes, somebody from Hollywood or their favorite sports team, and they could be the worst person ever as far as spiritual things go. They may not even believe uh, in the same God that we do as Christians. Would heroes like that appeal to people? Well, yeah, sadly that happens because those heroes were human and people felt like perhaps they can identify with more than the godly uh, two-shoe holy type that seemed to worship God every day of the week. The result of a cheapened marriage and cheapened heroes was a society that has become degraded. To, to which that point when God looks upon the earth and he saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every, every thought of his heart was evil all the time. That's Genesis 6 verse 5. This society... Uh, was very vulgar. They invaded every corner of their conversations to their music, their literature. They could not even think without dwelling on the impurity and violence. Every one of their thoughts in their mind was, was only evil and all the time. Verse 12, if you jump down to there, says they had corrupted all their ways. It had gotten so bad when God sought for someone that was righteous enough and worthy enough to be rescued out of this cesspool, out of the sewer of the society, he's only going to find one man. And verse 8 tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here was a man who set the standard for his family when it came to marriage. Did you notice here uh, who the only people were that he could save? I mean, notice this. His wife, his sons, and his daughter-in-laws. And I really believe that Noah taught his sons of what kind of wife 
uh, that they should marry. And thus those the sons and, and their families will escape the judgment of God. I know in a recent movie a couple of years ago with the title of Noah, uh, the sons get on uh, the ark. Only one of them has a wife. The other two are apparently bachelors. So unbiblical. That's the problem. People, even in Hollywood, can't even read a Bible. The script for that movie was already written for them and they ignored it. Noah was a man who, who set standards for his family because heroes that he modeled himself after, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us who the, his heroes were, but I'm guessing here. More than likely, Noah's heroes were godly men of the past. And if you would look at a chart of the lifespan of man pre-flood, you will find out that Noah was really only one generation from knowing men like Adam, Seth, and, and Enoch uh, would be living during his day. Enoch is an interesting study and an interesting person that Genesis says that he walked with God and God took him away. Hebrews 11 tells us that Enoch was taken because he was he pleased God. Now notice here in Genesis 6 verse 9. This account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was a blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. I believe Noah was described this way because he modeled himself after one of the heroes of the faith who had lived before him, perhaps Enoch. Okay? And this last question. Why did God destroy the world? Uh, you know, people say, you know, that really can't be true because God, again, he's supposed to be loving, forgiving, and caring, and that indulgent grandfather and put up with everything, and he's supposed to serve us. Well, he is loving, and he is forgiving, and he is caring, but the problem is we are to worship and serve him. Apparently, there's a point in which God simply will not tolerate. He will not accept sinfulness of man any longer. There will be a point in which God says, I've had my belly full. Uh, enough is enough. I cannot allow this to continue to go on. Even when God decides to put a stop to the wickedness of, of man, he warns us well ahead of time. Notice that the Apostle Peter would mention Noah in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 5. And there we read, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so this implies to me that for a hundred years while building the ark, Noah warned people of the coming judgment. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Again, God has warned us well in advance that the day of judgment will come and there will be enough when he says, We're done. Enough is enough. 
And make no mistake of all the strange teachings that go on in the so-called Christian world. There is a judgment day coming. There is a last day coming. And you and I, we need to be prepared for that. I mean, his warning is meant to encourage us to, to repentance. As God tells us in the verse just before this one, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And God wants everybody that he created to be with him in heaven for all eternity. In the Middle Ages, one of the old Saxon kings set out uh, with his army to put down a rebellion in a distant providence. When the insurrection had been squashed and the army of the rebels defeated, the king, he would place a candle over the archway of his castle where he had set up his headquarters. And lighting the candle meant that he was announcing for all those who had been in the rebellion that are still alive against him, if you surrendered and took an oath of loyalty while the candle was burning, you would be spared. The king would offer them clemency and mercy, but the offer was limited to the life of that candle. Every great offer of life in this lifetime, just like this candle, has limitations. And this is true of the offer for fortune and prosperity, knowledge, health, or affection. There is a limited time period in which we can make use of those offers and those opportunities. This is true of all the greatest offer that has ever been made to mankind. And that offer would be eternal life in Christ through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his words and promises. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Listeners, we are not promised tomorrow. We make plans. We, we focus on retirement savings accounts and where we're going to go on vacations and whatnot. But the truth of the matter is uh, we're just simply dust. And we are not promised another day. And it's not easy being a Christian. For those people who teach that, uh, they're wrong. It, it takes a lot of, of willingness to submit to God, to be able to focus your time in prayer and Bible study and, and leading your family. And we all struggle with that. That's just the reality of life. And I would encourage you to try to find a group of people who sincerely want to believe and study the entire Word of God. Not just their favorite verse, not just their favorite subject, not just a favorite book, but the entire Word of God. To know God completely. And this is something you just can't get in a 20-minute sermon, 30-minute sermon. This is a, a lifetime event. As we talked about Noah and his family and his sons, 
his his family apparently according to scripture feared god and they worshiped god and they took wives that also feared god and wanted to be in the light of god it has become harder and harder to find uh, people who uh, want god who accept god as who he is he is the savior of the world he is the righteous judge he is full of love and compassion and mercy but he like you and me is just not one-sided we're all very rounded people with personalities and we need to understand more about god i get emails from time to time asking where's a good church well that's a good question and you're going to have to start looking and searching and you need to do that through the eyes of the Word of God are they teaching the complete Word of God I certainly hope that as you listen to this podcast that you will understand God is a God of judgment it is a subject that is not politically correct it is not something that we all want to hear but we don't have to fear the judgment if we are washed in the blood of Christ. I'm going to take a moment to thank my worldwide audience. We have many people in Europe and Finland and up through there now more and more are listening on a weekly basis. We have picked up a few more listeners out of Asia. And please, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, make sure you hit that like button, follow us, and go to our webpage and, and follow us on the links on our social media account. Uh, we love the positive feedback that we get and we do occasionally get uh, nasty emails. And if you use profanity and send me things, I, 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 we're not responding to that. You might as well just know that. I, I just hit delete and I, I'm not dealing with that and neither would you. If you have a sincere question, you have a sincere concern, uh, we want to know it. We want to hear about it. Okay, I want to thank you for listening. We will be back in the air, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise next week. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you, and may He have the glory.